Welcome to the Cook Center Podcast, and here's your host. We're doing a great job. Robert Taylor will bring it out. Spins to the outside, Robert Taylor. Taylor at the 30. 40, midfield, Taylor. He's going to take it to the house. Touchdown, Washington State. All right, you guys, let's listen up. We won a game yesterday. If we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak. It has happened before. So let's see some hustle. Let's jack it up a little. I got a feeling things are about to turn around for us. Michael Preston. That's not the exact movie that had the Sierra for the World Series. That was the first Major League movie, right? I think. I get them mixed up all the time. Major League 2 knows because Major League 1, but still, that pep talk, very good. Cougars on a five-game winning streak. I think we're finally going to see some good things happening. I can't do that voice even remotely. Not even kind of. I can get you a good deal on a set of white walls, though, if you need one. I can't do that. I don't know how to change a tire, really, but I can do it. <laughs> Welcome to the Cook Center Hour post 37-32 Dragon of Tempe Slade edition. And not just, I want, I want to point this out right off the top here. Not just the Dragon of Tempe Slade. But a Dragon in Tempe that you had to hold on to win. You had to hold on to that football game to win it. Up 37-21. ASU scores some points. That missed PAT. When Eric Powell missed that point after touchdown, I looked right over at my wife and I said, that is very bad. That is going to come back and bite you in the butt. There's a big, big difference between a 16-point and a 17-point lead. And sure enough, it almost did. But Washington State held on, got that ball with four minutes to go, and bled the clock down, knees to end the game. And got out of Tempe with a win for the first time in 15 years. I'd barely turned 13 the last time this team won in Tempe. That is a long, long time ago. And again, you didn't just do it in a way where, you know, you you, you it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you clobbing out with a late touchdown. They were up 16 points in the fourth quarter. And they had to hold on. So not only did... You see them kind of, you know, take Tempe by the horns and put it, you know, finally wrestle it to the ground. But they, they held on. And again, you know, in years past under Mike Leach, you talked about that needed to be the mentality of they did have chances in that game to put ASU away. There was that fumble recovery right in ASU territory and they didn't score. They had a chance to step on the gas pedal and just run ASU flat over. And they didn't do it a couple of times. But they did hold on. They did hold on in that football game. And I think that, that that's the big thing. That's, again, the, the thing we talk about changing with this team and what needs to change and the culture needs to change is that you when they get in that situation, they don't expect it to slip away from them. I'm not as healthy as that. I still sit here as a pessimistic old coot expecting it to get away. But they don't, clearly. And that's good. It's good that 18 to 22 year olds have a crappy memory sometimes, most of the time. 
Not all the time when your mom asks you to do chores. But it's good that they don't have that memory. And to go to Tempe and win that football game, get to 5-2, and two, and again, four wins through what we thought was going to be the toughest part of their schedule. Now, granted, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that they, are fa- they were facing some quarterbacks in that four-game stretch that we weren't really expecting. But they got Ryan Burns, which was the guy we expected at Stanford. They got Dakota Prukop, which was the guy we expected at Oregon. Maybe not as good as Justin Herbert, the guy starting now. Mike Fawful is the starter at UCLA with Josh Rosen still hurt. And this last week, they got like a drive and a half of Manny Wilkins. Again, I will grant you they faced some backup quarterbacks. But they're still winning football games. And I, I, I don't really care who it is against. It still goes in the left column of win-loss. It still goes in that column. And again, yes, the Pac-12, not very good this year at all. And in fact, I would probably call it the fourth best of the Power Fives. Easily the fourth best. If not below the Big Ten, Big 12. But that's not the Big Ten. No, the Big Ten's very good. The Big 12. But that's a, that's a longer discussion for another day. But they're definitely not in the top three. Pac-12 is not very good this year. This is the kind of year where WSU can make a run. This is the kind of year where a school like WSU with the limited resources and kind of always having that mentality of being the underdog a little bit can make a run in the Pac-12. It just so happens, unfortunately, they're running up against the best Washington team in the last 15 years. How's that for timing? (laughs) I do want to talk about one other thing that happened on Saturday. Uh, Mike Leach now with a penchant for... Bad handshakes or interesting handshake exchanges. I even said this at the end of the game. We were sitting at home watching on TV. And my wife wanted to go downstairs right as Luke Falk took the extra knee so she could go to bed. She had to get to the airport really early. I said, no, 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 no. We got to stay and watch this because something's going to happen. Something's going to happen between Leach and Graham. And to Leach's credit, unlike the Idaho game where he just avoided Petrino altogether, he went and shook Graham's hand. Now, there's a little debate about what Graham said to him in that little exchange there. The audio wasn't exactly clear. Uh, But we did have some mics open. We did have that. So, I think, I think, this calls for the first ever Kook Center Hour investigation. I just really wanted an excuse to play the NBC News theme. <laughs> it's a really good theme. I like the theme. It's really cool. As John Williams wrote it, you know, he writes all that good stuff. You know what I mean? It's really good. I like it. What did Todd Graham say to Mike Leach after the game? Let's take a listen to it on one pass here. And yes, I have bleeped out the what we do know <laughs> that is bad. This is a family show. We like to adhere to F- FCC standards, even though we are not beholden to the FCC. But let's take a listen to what uh, Mr. Todd Graham said. Okay, Mike. Hey, man. What, what, what you did in the newspaper's chicken? I've always respected you. You do that bullshit chicken. First of all, Todd Graham, what you did in the newspaper. <laughs> Written in many other places other than a newspaper, brother. TV stations, radio stations played it. Online publications, all that other stuff. All that stuff. And I think it's very clear at this point that Mike Leach got into Todd Graham's heads with his comments about command centers and all that other crap. 
To me, it was incredibly clear that Leach was kidding. He was being sarcastic when he said all that. Like, legitimately, I, I don't know how you can... I, I realize that if you don't listen to him on a weekly basis, you may not think like... You, you may think he's being serious, but he's talking about bunkers and command centers and all this other crap. In what way is he being serious about it? Now, it, there, there might have been at least kind of a little seriousness to it because this is not the first time that Graham's had a complaint about this kind of thing, right? Dana Holgerson has a long-running feud with him. There have been other instances of people accusing Graham of going a little above and beyond what is considered above board for this kind of thing. And Brian Floyd wrote that uh, on our website earlier this week. I encourage you to check out his piece on it. Is that, you know, there, there's kind of that acceptable level of sign ceiling, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? There's like a kind of an unwritten code that there is an acceptable amount of this that you can do. And Graham goes above that frequently. You know what I mean? But let, let, let's break down. Let's let's see what he said. Let's play this back again. Let's see if we can determine exactly what Todd said here. Okay, mate. Hey, man. What, what, what you did in the newspaper's chicken. I've always respected you. You do that what you, always, what you did in the newspaper is chicken bleep. I've always respected you. That's bull bleep. I Look, I have a hard time... One more, one more time. Just, I need to hear this one more time. Just, for me, I need to hear this one more time. Okay, Mike. Hey, man. What, what, what you did in the newspaper is chicken. I've always respected you. I'm pretty sure he gets an extra chicken bleep in on the end. Like, I'm 90% sure he gets one in there, too. I have a hard time taking it seriously from Todd Graham, a guy who sent his players at Pitt a text message that he was leaving for ASU. Like, don't don't come to me and talk about that kind of thing, Todd. Or don't come to another coach and talk about that kind of thing, man. It It, it is so abundantly clear... That Leach was so far in Graham's kitchen with that comment, he was making a Niçois salad. I don't know if I could have sounded more pretentious by saying Niçois there, but I'm going to stick with that. There, like, Mike Leach is wearing an apron and making salad in Todd Graham's kitchen with that. Right? Are we in agreement on that? Because there, there's just no way, there, there's no other explanation for that. And Todd Graham took it personally. Which is hilarious. Because Mike Leach in, in no way was being serious about that. And he was doing exactly what he meant to do there. He was trying to get in Todd Graham's head. And it clearly worked. Todd Graham let him get in his head about it. And then they came to Tempe. And provided Todd Graham just his seventh loss at Sun Devil Stadium while he's been at ASU. It is abundantly clear to me. About that. And I think there are some legs now. You know, we've been talking about this as Kook Center authors a little bit. But I I think there's... Todd Graham went to the Pac-12. Todd Graham went to Larry Scott and complained about it. And Larry Scott fined Mike Leach $10,000 for... I don't know what. But I, I it, it apparently was bad, I guess. Kind of. I don't know. Would I be mad if another coach accused my football team of doing this? Yeah, probably. But to the level of 
wanting my coach to complain to the Pac-12 to find the other coach for it. I don't know, man. I, I, I guess Todd Graham just really rubs Mike Leach the wrong way, and so he decided to kind of not so coyly get into his kitchen about it. I'm, I'm sure that's 90% of what this has to do with, is that Mike Leach is not a big Todd Graham fan. And, you know, maybe he outwardly says he doesn't mind the sign ceiling too much, but inwardly he do, it does kind of bother him. But again, Mike Leach is a guy that's going to, he's just going to throw the ball at you because, you know, there's going to be open space on every player. Something good's going to happen. He doesn't really care. He's just going to do it. And that, that that's part of the good thing about him is that he's going to do that. At least one chicken bleep, one bull bleep, and Todd Graham's always had respect for him. That concludes our Kook Center investigation. I need to start and end my day with those. <laughs> like, that, that's, that should be the start and end of my day, right? That should be the start and end of everybody. Like, everybody should wake up on the NBC Nightly News intro theme. And then everybody should go to bed on the outro theme. And like right, right as it, right as the chimes like wrap up at the end, you just fade to black. Fade to black. There you go. Quiet. Oregon State Beavers coming up this week, and uh, a, a team that beat Cal uh, a few weeks ago, uh, which surprised me, because uh, I I did not think the Oregon State Beavers would win a game in the conference this year, but. Uh, the conference overall is down, not very good uh, this year. Uh, so at least a chance for Oregon State to, you know, grab a victory from a team maybe not expecting. I mean, they got out ahead of Cal too, so you know, there's there's something to be said for jumping on a team that maybe not taking you seriously. So I don't I don't I don't think as Washington State you can just sit back and not take and not take uh, Oregon State seriously, but. But, 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 but. They're only scoring 24 points a game. And they're allowing 32 points a game. That scoring defense, okay in conference. And actually, they had the 11th best total offense. They they go, uh, they average 347 yards a game. That's still almost 50 yards better than Stanford. Good God. Woof. Oh, Stanford's bad. Stanford's really bad. But again, Oregon State has one of the worst rushing defenses in the conference. They have the worst passing offense in the conference. It's not good when you're playing a Washington State team. Oregon State does average 200 yards on the ground a game, but Washington State has the second best rushing defense in the conference. One of the better ones in the country by the advanced metrics. 105 yards a game. That's all they allow on the ground. And Oregon State allows everybody to throw all over them. Actually, not too bad. I'm sorry. Oregon State can't throw. Oregon State actually has a pretty decent passing defense. But I think it also has something to do with the fact that they've been getting run all over. We'll find out how really good they are this week. But I think there's. I, I think the way you're going to win this football game is probably on the ground again. You saw the running backs really struggle against ASU. And that was very, very apparent that ASU does have one of the better rushing defenses in the conference. We saw that on Saturday. Luke Falk couldn't decide when to check into a run and not to check in. 
they were late with filling gaps on, you know, showing blitz, backing out, whatever else. They were fooling Luke Falk, forcing him to throw. And, and, and Luke wasn't running it, I think, maybe as much as he should, choosing to run it, but they still won the football game. You're going to be able to run it, I think, a little bit more against Oregon State. They have offensive problems. They have a good passing defense, but their rushing defense is not good. And again, you saw this against Oregon. If it's there, just take it. Who cares how you got to score your points? If you're Oregon State, the thing you're going to do this week is you're going to try to limit possessions. You're going to try to limit possessions from the Washington State offense. That's what every team's going to do against WSU. They need to limit offensive possessions, as few possessions as they can in that game. But if Washington State can be successful on the ground again, if they can be good picking up 280 yards like they were against Oregon, the passes are going to open up. And I think you certainly expect WSU to win this game by multiple touchdowns. Roughly a two-touchdown favorite to open the week uh, in Vegas. Didn't cover last week. That's two weeks in a row they haven't covered. First time in a while, Vegas is finally making a little money on them. But again, a game I think you certainly expect WSU to win. I know I do. I know I would be unhappy if they didn't. And again, importantly here, bull eligibility. Bull eligibility. And you can do it a week earlier than you did last year. You get to bull eligibility a week before you did it last year. So now you're just gambling with house money. Now you're just playing with house money at that point. Now, I want what everybody else wants. I want as good a bowl as possible. And right now you've seen a lot of projections. Alamo Bowl. That would be good. Rose Bowl. But again, a lot of that depends on how the rest of the season goes. A lot of variables there. But to answer your question, yes, they can go to the Rose Bowl. Even if they don't win the Pac-12 North, they can go to the Rose Bowl. A lot of variables there. But you're seeing a lot of predictions for a very good bowl game from this team. And to go to a bowl game three out of the last four years, three out of, excuse me, five years, Mike Leach has been the head coach of this football team. That's pretty good. All I want out of this football team is a bowl game four out of every five years. I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. And I think it's very doable. Four out of every five years. I don't care what the bowl game is generally. Just go to postseason football. That means it's been a relatively successful year. That's all I want. A little bit more. Talk about the Oregon State Beavers coming up next here on the Kook Center Hour. Let's preview the opponent a little more, huh? What an awful outro. Get to the game. on the Kook Center Hour. Uh, Oregon State Beavers on the slate this week. A two-game winning streak 
uh, for the Cougs over the. I think it's a two. I think it's a yeah two game winning streak for the Cougs over the Beavs because the first one was Luke Falk's first start. And I keep forgetting about things because I'm getting old. Joining us to talk more about the Oregon State Beavers is Mr. Marcus Russell from our sister site, Building the Dam. Uh, Marcus, so far this season, Oregon State. Two and five, I think, still kind of in the middle of a rebuild under second-year head coach Gary Anderson. Uh, for Beavs fans, how does it kind of feel so far this year? I mean, not last in the Pac-12 North, got that win against Cal, and the honor goes to your rival, the Oregon Ducks. So, how does it? Where where is everybody at right now? More than halfway through the season, you think? I think everybody's feeling pretty good about where we are. They recognize that it's a rebuild, playing a lot of young guys, playing a lot of true freshmen on defense. So it was just great. Everyone's feeling good about their win against Cal, and they got the Civil War circled just about a month away. So, I mean, we, we wish the record was a little better, but we understand the rebuild is going to take a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you, I, I think I, we were all kind of surprised when Gary Anderson left Wisconsin to take the job at Oregon State. Now, you know, regardless of how much that has to do with Barry Alvarez or not, a Big Ten a Big Ten coach made the leap kind of down sort of to a Pac-12 school. I think any, you know, other than maybe USC or Washington or Stanford, maybe that would kind of be a step down. Were you guys surprised when Gary Anderson uh, took the job in Corvallis? Absolutely. That was a yeah. big time. It's a surprise. Wisconsin, it's a really good school. Top 20, top 25 every single year. So, yeah, I was shocked to hear Gary Anderson was taking the head coaching job and kind of softened the blow of Mike Riley leaving. <laughs> well, he didn't do too good in his first year at Nebraska, so you at least got that going for you. Um, last couple of weeks here for Oregon State, played really tough uh, against Utah, only lost by five, and uh, unfortunately suffered the same fate that most teams do against Washington this year, and uh, it seems like the Huskies had an easier time with the Beavs. They did cover the spread, though. Uh, last two weeks, what have you seen out of this team that's been encouraging? And you know, Let's go back three weeks even to that overtime win against Cal because they, they had the lead and uh, kind of gave it away a little bit in that game but managed to hold on and win in overtime, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. They were coming off a really bad week where they got stomped against Colorado. Morale was pretty far down. People were down on the team. And then they just they really showed some good fight these last couple of weeks. Washington, Utah, they're tough teams. But we're obviously undermanned talent-wise mm-hmm. with the way that the guys fought, and they just kept going. It's kind of made all the fans proud. I know that uh, Oregon State's not the only team to be suffering from this this year. It's the injury bug. Uh, ASU suffered from that last week. Manny Wilkins was out after basically two drives against WSU. And Oregon State's without their starting quarterback, Daryl Garrettson, and without Connor Blount. And we don't think Ryan Nall will be back this week. That at running back, that leaves Marcus McMarion, who played last week against Washington, took all the snaps. Uh, what did you see from him last week that you guys liked? The numbers maybe not uh, on paper don't look great, but was there anything you guys liked seeing from him against Washington? Well, Washington's a really good defense. They've got a lot of NFL talent. So expectations were not high for him, especially considering any previous action he's had. He's not looked good. He's kind of looked deer in the headlights like so fans were encouraged that he stood in there made some plays um he himself he was really critical on his performance after the game but i think overall fans did just about what we expected from him maybe overperformed expectations a little bit mm-hmm. 
I want to go back now to the running backs with Ryan Nall probably out this week. We talked before we started recording here that he's probably going to be out this week. Where does the where does it fall then? Who does it fall to to get the majority of the rushes? Because Victor Bolden's not a running back, but he will take the ball for carries every once in a while. Average is about 16 yards a touch, but who carries the load now at running back for Oregon State now that Ryan Nall probably not going to be back this week? Yeah, Victor Bolden, he's our second leading rusher, but mm-hmm. he only has 19 carries on the season. So he's a big play threat, but he won't see the ball a lot from out of the backfield. Just generally fly sweeps. Um, last week, we were down to our third string running back as well, Tim Cook. He got the start against Washington, and he had a really great day rushing for over 100 yards. So that was encouraging. Mm-hmm. And his um, the backup running back, number two, Artavius Pierce, was also injured. He's expected back this week, taking first uh, first string reps in practice, so he's good to go. And uh, he's a true freshman, but he's a talented back and pretty confident he can get the job done without running that. Seth Collins moved back out to receiver after playing quarterback uh, last year for Oregon State. Not a team that's going to throw the ball a bunch, but uh, you know, outside of Victor Collins and or uh, Seth Collins rather, and Victor Bolden uh, at receiver, does OSU have anybody else that's kind of a threat? Uh, getting the ball from the quarterback, or is this kind of a run-heavy team right now uh, with all the injuries uh, at quarterback? It's definitely turned into a run-heavy team. Uh, Coaches want to change that. They said that passing attack has just been horrible. They've been very blunt about how anemic it's been. But um, there's a few guys to look out for. You mentioned Victor Bolden and Seth Collins, our most dynamic wide receivers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jordan Villeman, he was supposed to come into the season and have a huge year, and he's just not been good. Uh, he's admitted to being getting a little down on himself when they've struggled. So he's had an awful year and actually has been taken over by a junior college player, Timmy Hernandez, mm-hmm. the name to watch out for. And uh, I've noticed just with Marcus McMarion, he's taken a lot of um, second, third string reps, so he's more comfortable throwing to guys like Hunter John and Timmy Hernandez, guys that are taking second string reps. Mm-hmm. So just be, just look for him to pass the ball around, spread it around to lots of different targets. Offensively for Oregon State, just kind of taking it as a whole, Marcus, are, are we looking at a team that's better or worse than the 2015 version of this football team or kind of about the same? I mean, you know, taking into consideration all the injuries they've been suffering, is this offense better, worse, or roughly about the same as it was last season? It's a lot better. Mm-hmm. It doesn't reflect in the record-wise, but we've been a lot more competitive and a lot more confident moving the ball. Last year with Seth Collins, at quarterback, um, we literally had no passing attack, and people were putting eight, nine guys in the box mm-hmm. and shutting down the run. So even with our third-string quarterback, it's a better option than just run heavy 80%, 90% of the time. Yeah. Let's talk defensively uh, about the Oregon State Beavers a little bit, Marcus. Uh, I, you know, the one thing that really stands out to me is the rushing yardage that gets picked up uh, against Oregon State, one of the worst teams in the conference in terms of uh, against the run. They're okay against the pass, but is that a symptom of the passing defense being better, or is it just because the rushing defense is not good and everybody just doesn't even bother to throw the ball that much? Um, I think it's more. Uh... Just our secondary has been a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Tristan Decoud is a senior, and he's just been shutting down guys at corner. I got a few other, Devin Chappelle, the senior in the secondary safety, doing an awesome job. And we've 
sustain a lot of injuries in the secondary, but the guys that are starting are really solid and doing mm -hmm. a really good job. Um, as far as our defensive line linebackers, there's a lot of injuries, a lot of freshmen, a lot of new guys playing. Mm -hmm. um, I know our outside linebackers, we've had three or four true freshmen start at that position just because of the injuries that we face. So um, I just think teams are finding a lot of success on the ground and just sticking with it until we stop it. Yeah, you look, I want to look back again. Kind of the most similar team you faced at WSU this year in Cal. Davis Webb only threw for 113 yards on 44 attempts, but they ran for 321 yards as a team. I, you know, In terms of limiting the passing, that has to be encouraging, but giving up over 300 yards on the ground, that is kind of symptomatic of what most teams are going to try to do against the Beavs, right? Even, even though WSU throws the ball an awful lot, in all likelihood they're going to see some uh, – see some open areas on the ground they can really exploit. Yeah, absolutely. That Cal game was a weird game. Mm -hmm. uh, Davis Webb, he injured his hand early in the game. wasn't really talked about, but I think it had a big effect on the game. And um, so Cal just kept going with through the air, and it wasn't working until they finally made some halftime adjustments and mm -hmm. started running the ball on the Beavers. And uh, Beavers' defensive coordinator, he took some of the blame for that. Uh, mm -hmm. He didn't really adjust with the run calls. He was still expecting pass, is basically what he said afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, I, I think Washington State will have more success through the air. We sustained some injuries, and that's what Washington State does best, their air raid offense. Okay. Um, I, I look at Oregon State here, Marcus, and I, I kind of see a little bit of late aughts WSU in this team and that a lot of injuries from you know issues with the previous coaching staff, maybe in terms of conditioning or whatever. Do you guys see any similarities between those two programs in terms of where WSU was at about eight years ago? Granted, you guys are winning a little bit more and being much more competitive in games than Wazoo was, but are there some similarities, do you think, between uh, those two teams in terms of where Oregon State is now and where WSU was, say, maybe in 2010, 2011 might be a little bit of a closer analogy? Yeah, I can definitely see some similarities. Um, even before Mike Riley left and Gary Anderson took the job, fans were expecting accepted that the recruiting wasn't there, the talent we were losing was pretty significant. And so everyone kind of gave Gary Anderson a pass in year one, and they consider this year basically his year one of rebuild, mm -hmm. that he didn't get a chance to hit the ground running. So, yeah, I see a lot of similarities. Fans are fans are comparing this team kind of to Colorado the last few years uh -huh. and hoping they can have a rebuild just like them, turn mm -hmm. it around. Recruiting wise, I because I I'm not you know I'm not a huge recruiting guy, but I assume the recruiting's going a little bit better for Oregon State now with Gary Anderson a little bit more entrenched uh, in Corvallis rather than just in his first year and getting this thing turned around, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mike Riley, he. Uh, he was never known for getting top recruits. He was more known for developing talent. They had a lot of walk-ons that had success at Oregon State. But Gary Anderson has a completely different strategy, and he's going after some of the top talent and actually winning some battles against some big-time schools. Uh, Oregon State isn't getting the leftovers from all the Pac-12 talent that's already been scooped up. They're actually winning some recruiting battles mm -hmm. against teams like UCLA, Utah, Etc. So it's exciting, exciting for fans to see the talent coming in. I know, you know, I obviously again a rebuilding year for Oregon State, but uh, give me a sense of how excited everyone is that even in a rebuilding year, even in a year where you know 
you know, expectations are pretty low, and, and they, they probably should be for a team that needs to develop some talent. Uh, you're still ahead of Oregon in the Pac-12 North. How exciting is that? Uh, that's one of the most exciting things. It's finally looking like the war game is, could be winnable this year. So, so fans have that date circled, and if if nothing else goes right the rest of the season, if we could beat Oregon, that'll that'll be a huge, huge celebratory game for everybody involved on the Beaver side. <laughs> Well, we're, we're doing it all we can to take care and make sure that they're down at the bottom of the conference for you. So I guess you're welcome. I, I guess maybe a little bit, I guess. Um, Saturday night, very late game. This is like the 19th straight late game WSU has played, I swear. it's uh, Everything's been at night. Um, uh, in Corvallis, uh, two-game win streak for the Cougs, a small two-game win streak. Uh, give me an idea. Give me kind of a final score approximation what you're thinking uh, for Saturday, once the final whistle blows after midnight, probably. It's a really good question. I expect it to be probably like thirty-three seventeen Washington State, mm-hmm. something along that line. Um, it's going to be tough for them to beat the spread. I think Washington State opened up as fifteen-point favorites, and I've been impressed with Washington State. They they had a little hiccup at the beginning of the season with Eastern Washington. But since that time, they've just been turned it around. Uh, how are you guys feeling about Washington State and their season? I feel pretty great right now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm in decidedly better mood than I was a month and a half ago. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Marcus Russell from Building the Dam. Uh, thank you, sir, for your expertise on the beeves. And uh, I wish you all the luck in the world after Saturday night, okay? Great. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'll continue more of the Kook Center Hour coming up next. Thanks again to Marcus Russell from Building the Dam for joining us here on the Cook Center to cover the Oregon State Bivois. Wow, that's an awful way to say Beavers, Michael. That's stop being creative. Uh, wanted to use this space this week. We ordinarily try to have a second guest to talk about something else uh, in this space every week, and I wanted to talk about uh, something that is bugging a lot of our fans and has finally started to bug me, and that is uh, late kickoff times. I, I live on the West Coast uh, for many reasons. A, I was born and raised here. Uh, but B, whenever I visit the East Coast, and we do have family in North Carolina, I hate how late sports are on there. If you're a sports fan on the East Coast, I legitimately do not know how you do it with... A primetime football game starting at 8.30 and getting over at 11.30 at night. I, I, I can't do that. Now, maybe if I had been born on the East Coast and been used to it, I, you know, I'd be a little more all about it. But I can't do that. Can't do it. 
And so far this season, Washington State has had one game start before 5 o'clock at night. And that was at 11 a.m. against Idaho. Eastern game started at 5. Boise State was at 7.15. Oregon was at 6.30. Stanford was at 7. UCLA was at 7. 7.15, can't remember exactly. ASU was at 7. Oregon State this weekend, 7.45 p.m. on ESPN2. I I, th- I know it has something to do with ESPN wanting decent stock for their late night games, but I mean, guys, even at 7.45 at night on the West Coast, there ain't a ton of people watching football. The primetime game on ABC is about to get over. You might have a few people flip over to ESPN2 to watch the Cougs and the Beavs. But there's nobody on the East Coast watching this outside of Outside of Kook fans like our own PJ Kendall who lives on the East Coast. I know a few other folks uh, who frequent the site. I'm ge- I- And I live on the West Coast where these games still start e- early in the evening. But man, this is getting old, man. These late, late start times. Well after sunset. Really late into the evening. It's getting really old. And again, this rolls back into the Pac-12's TV contract. That there weren't more stipulations to avoid this kind of problem. This is not a... This is not a once, you know... This happens every once in a while for the Pac-12. Every single week, a ton of their games occur late at night. I have no earthly clue what is compelling about WSU and Oregon State at 745 on ESPN2. And there's a difference between ESPN and ESPN2 as well. Don't let, Let's not trip over that, okay? There is a difference. Even though they're right next to each other on most of your channel guides, there's a difference. The audience for ESPN2 is noticeably lower. And ESPN doesn't spend as much time promoting things on ESPN2. So let's let's skip right past that for a minute. There is a difference between ESPN and ESPN2. But even beyond that, where's the market for this game? Who, Who wants to watch ESPN? Who wants to watch WSU and Oregon State? On ESPN2 at 7.45 at night. Please enlighten me. I would much rather have ended up on the Pac-12 network this week. Much rather had that happen. Arizona State, Oregon at 2 o'clock. What a perfect time for that football game. But no. You end up. 7.45 7.45 at night on ESPN2. Arizona has it even worse with Stanford. 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock kick time. I just... This is part of the problem with this TV contract. Is that ESPN and Fox are free to just shove these games to late at night. And look, I don't blame them whatsoever. They want that. 
they want that inventory late at night. I completely understand it. And unfortunately, the Pac-12 is in a position where being on the West Coast, we are the last time zone to get to Sunday. So it is entirely logical if you're ESPN or Fox to take Pac-12 games and put them on late at night. I completely get it. But this is getting outrageously awful. And you, you, you can't even get East Coast AP voters to pay attention to your team. I don't think WSU should have been ranked this week. They're 26th, so first in the others receiving votes category. And I'm fine with them not being ranked. But this is not helping their case. And yes, I've said before that the Pac-12 is not good this year. And in fact, if you really want to fire up the hot take-a-tron, I could make a case that even if UW wins the conference championship, they shouldn't go to the college football playoff. They will. But the conference is so bad this year that UW's schedule is easy. Easy, 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 easy compared to anybody else who's going to get to the college football playoff. But this is not helping things. This is not helping WSU get nationally recognized for winning five games in a row. For being a game away from bowl eligibility. From beating Oregon State and getting bowl eligible for the second year in a row. Three out of the last four years. That if you really and truly believe that Mike Leach has something cooking here in Pullman... That this is not helping. And again, I understand it from ESPN and Fox perspective, but when Larry Scott says last year, well, we'll try to do our best to get them to show the games early. It's not working, Larry. And again, it goes back to that TV contract where it wasn't stipulated that these games had to occur earlier in the day. Your schools suffer because of this. They suffer with a lack of national exposure because a majority of Americans live east of the Continental Divide. Most people live in the Central and Eastern time zones. And I realize that your primary market is here on the West Coast in the Mountain Time Zone. But it's still, even out here, it's annoying to have to have your game end at 11.15 to go a whole day waiting for your football game to occur. I admit it's a minor annoyance compared to what some folks are dealing with in terms of watching these this football team. But it gets old. It gets old real quick. Going the whole day waiting for this football game. And I feel you start to get into conflicts of feeling like, you know, you want to go out and do things. I'd like to go have dinner with family and still be able to watch my football team play. But I got to make a decision some weekends. I'd like to go out and go do other things without having to have it conflict. But it does happen. And so I'm left to choose between the two things. Now again, that's not to say that that's a, you know, that's definitely a first world college football problem. But it's still a problem if you are a conference who wants eyeballs on their product. China, expanding your viewership to China is not the answer, Larry. Earlier start times would help tremendously. That 3.30 start time in Pullman, I would adore that for the Arizona and Cal games. Would love it. 
Love, 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 love it. That early afternoon, just enough time to tailgate a little bit. Game doesn't get over too late. It's perfect. But no, because WS... And, and this is kind of the, the double-edged part of the sword here. WSU is good. There are only a couple other teams in the conference this year that are A, good, and B, compelling. WSU is both of those things. Utah is an extremely boring football team to watch. Sorry, Ute fans. But there's a reason why you didn't go to the Sun Bowl last year. Okay? It, and it's not because you're a, you're a bad football team. It's because you are an extraordinarily boring football team to watch. Okay? There you go. Colorado's just now getting back to maybe kind of some national relevance. SC is struggling a little bit, but they're still good. So pretty much what you have in the conference this year in terms of compelling football without Oregon or Stanford as it has been in the past few years is you have Washington and Washington State. And Washington's been steamrolling people. And so you're left with WSU. And you need some content at night. And that's where you end up. Not asking for a ton here. Just some earlier games. Every single game except for one, 5 p.m. or later for Wazoo this year. And I wish the conference had a little more control over it because even for me on the West Coast, this late crap's getting real old. Dunderhead of the Week, Ask Michael Anything, coming up next here on the Goop Center Hour. Time to put a bow on another week here on the Kooks Hour. Started out with our Dunder Head of the Week. We could have gone with Todd Graham here, but I felt like I wanted to spend like the first half of the show on how stupid he is. I think we can all agree it went better for me. I, I, I have this... If you live in Seattle, you know the stereotype of how bad Seattle drivers are, right? I mean, every, every city complains about how bad their drivers are. It's not a unique thing to Seattle. But it's, it's this... It, the one area in which Seattle people are overly polite to strangers, it seems to be, is in driving. And one thing I encountered twice yesterday, just twice yesterday, running errands around West Seattle, was the people who have the right of way are waving you on to turn in, and you're not expecting it, right? And then they get all pissed off when you don't notice it. Like, I was trying to turn left onto a street and someone who was in the middle turn lane was trying to turn left onto the street I was turning out of. This person's like frantically waving me on and I'm like, you have the right of way! That That is the one big thing that bugs me so, so much. So much. If I don't have the right of way, why would I expect you to wave me on? And it's not like you're being, like I, you, you think you're being polite. 
That's what it is. You think you're being polite about it. You think you're being a good person. But I don't know that that is what you want because it is not my turn to go. It's not my turn. I'm not looking for that. Please just turn. It's more efficient for you to do that. Just, just, just turn and I will wait my turn. It is, it is not my turn yet. It is not my turn until everything is clear. Okay? Just turn in. Just turn. Take the right of way and go. Driving works best when you are taking the proper right of way. When the people who have the right of way use it. Don't just sit there and wave me on because you think you're being polite. Okay? It just... Ugh. Ugh. I am being unreasonably angry about this. <laughs> this is like something that shouldn't even rub me the wrong way either, right? Like this is definitely not something that should rub me the wrong way. But it is rubbing me the wrong way, and I, I really don't understand it. I, I probably need to go see a Seattle traffic therapist, but then again, I think almost everybody in this city could go stand to see one of those. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael anything and we mean anything here on the gook center at t claws 33 tyler claws how much should we demand chris hansen pays to get clay to the sonics nobody saw it on tuesday chris hansen says he's going to privately finance the arena in seattle and he'll pay for the rest of the lander overpass all superb things um i would say all the money oh no way the nba has a salary cap uh so just spend the cap on him and hire like 11 scrubs off the street to play that, that's, that's what, I'm not a general manager in the NBA, but that's what I would do. At SeanCoog86, Sean, did you enjoy growing up all the way out in the country in Woodenville? Yes, I loved it. It's definitely the country, too. Even though we have a Target in Barnes & Noble, it's definitely the country. All those people from Bellevue that called it the country, not bothersome at all. Out of Rathburn 13, Anthony, if you could go back in time and tell 16-year-old you one thing about the future, what would it be? That the Cubs are going to make it to a World Series eventually. <laughs> no, it would probably be that, you know, for as, as gawky and pimply as you are and as awkward with women as you are, you're going to eventually get married and it's going to be to a very beautiful woman. That That's what I would say. That's, that's my non-low-key way of giving my wife a compliment very publicly and it scores me some husband points so that works at k lockins keith lockins do i put in for vacation over christmas or hold out for the rose bowl and take vacation over new year's can't have both this is the kind of daring i love right because if you think wsu has a chance to go to the rose bowl you got to take that time off but if you don't and you think it's likely that they end up in the alamo bowl foster farms or holiday bowl all that happened in that week after christmas you gotta take that week off I mean, the gambler in me says take New Year's off, right? But the realist in me says take that time over Christmas off, the, kind of the end of that Christmas week. Because Christmas is not like a Sunday this year. Take like the end of that week off when the Alamo Bowl, Holiday Bowl, Foster Farms Bowl all are and do that. Do that instead. And Mr. Tommy G, man, what's your preferred method for playing overtime games in football, NFL, college, or something different? It's college. I would move it back to the 35 to start, though. I think the 25 is too close. I would move it back to the 35 to start. And if, if you're going to do it in the NFL, that's what I would do. Move it back to the 35 because 25, the 25-yard 25 line is way too close in the NFL. 
at Jimmy the Coog, Jimmy Morgan, what kind of strategy might Coach Leach have to find the next luckiest guy to be captain once Morrow graduates? One of his players is probably going to have to go on Let's Make a Deal with uh, who? What Wayne Brady hosts that now, right? Wayne Brady. Wayne Brady hosts that now. Uh, I can't think of Who's Line host seriously hosting that show. Uh, or Who's Line improv. I don't even know what I'm... Anyway, I can't take Wayne Brady seriously on that show. Uh, I would say somebody who needs to go on another game show. Like, so, like, let's make a deal. Family Feud. Whoever gets whoever gets Steve Harvey to make the goofiest face on Family Feud. There you go. That's my answer for that. At BS 13 he's asked me a bunch of questions. We're going to go with the ones I like. Waffles or pancakes? Waffles. Syrup or fruit? Syrup. Thick or thin crust? Thin. Tailgate or bar hop? Tailgate. Always tailgate. I don't like bar hopping. At Seattle Coog 88 Alex, cats or dogs, and why is it always cats? I like cats. I, I, dogs are a little too much, you know, take care of for me sometimes. I know some dogs are a little easier to take care of, but cats are very, you know, I can leave for the weekend. We leave for Pullman for the weekend, and the cats are fine by themselves. Except for what I'm doing right now and penning one of my producers to placate him from not meowing and making noise. Final question. My wife's driving back from Seattle to Spokane. Will the Paseo she picked up for me still be good by the time she's home? That from Wash State 123, Jared. Even if it's cold Paseos, just nuke that in the oven for like two minutes. We'll broil or you'll know, turn it to like 350, put it on bake so the heat gets through there evenly, and you'll be good to go. Don't warm it up in the microwave again. Put it in the oven. Bread will get crispy again. All that good stuff. It'll be really good. Washington State 42, Oregon State I'll give him 21 here. I think OSU is a little bit better than last year, but still, uh, WSU should walk away with this one in Corvallis. We'll talk to you next week on the Kook Center Hour.